Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we'll read chapters 15 and 16 and in the previous episode we read chapters 13 and 14 and in chapter 14 Percy and the army went against Hyperion and a somewhat similar monster that they had faced and had used as a transportation but not quite as it was named the Clasmanian So. But don't worry, Percy and the army were able to destroy it as well at, with Daedalus's uh, robotic people, anima- animatronics, and were able to defeat the pig and it was able to disintegrate. But now we will see how the rest of the battle goes when we read chapter 15, Chiron Throws a Party. And before we start, I do want to apologize for the pronunciations throughout this entire podcast. I am still trying to improve, and I'm not sure about how to pronounce these correctly yet, but thank you for the people who are sending the reviews and helping with the pronunciations and letting me know how to pronounce them. I thank you for that, and I will keep trying to improve, and I do apologize for uploading late. I will. I am a bit busy as of now with everything, and I will try and upload on time. So now, without further ado, let's read Chapter 15, Chiron Throws a Party. Midtown was a war zone. We flew over little skirmishes everywhere. A giant was ripping up trees in Bryant Park while dryads pelted him with nuts. Outside the Waldorf Astoria, a bronze statue of Benjamin Franklin was whacking a hellhound with a rolled-up newspaper. A trio of Hephaestus campers fought a squad of Draconae in the middle of Rockefeller Center. I was tempted to stop and help, but I could tell from the smoke and noise that a real action had moved farther south. Our defenses were collapsing. The enemy was closing in on the Empire State Building. We did a quick quick sweep of the surrounding area. The hunters had set up a defensive line on 37th, just two blocks north of Olympus. To the east of Park Avenue, Jake Mason and some other Hephaestus campers were leading an army of statues against the enemy. To the west, the Demeter Cabin and Grover's Nature Spirits had turned 6th Avenue into a jungle that was hampering a squadron of Kronos' demigods. The south was clear for now, but the flanks of the enemy army army were swinging around. A few more minutes and we'd be totally surrounded. We have to land land wherever they need us most, I muttered. That's everywhere, boss. I spotted a familiar silver silver owl banner in the southeast corner of the fight. 33rd at the Park Avenue Tunnel. Annabeth and two of her siblings were holding back at Hyperborean Giant. There, I told Blackjack. He plunged toward the battle. I leaped off his back and landed on the giant's head. When the giant looked up, I slid off his face, shield bashing his nose on the way down. Roar! The giant staggered backward, blue blood trickling from his nostrils. I hit the pavement running. The Hyperborean breath a breathed a cloud of white mist and the temperature dropped the spot where i'd landed was now coated with ice and i was covered in frost like a sugar donut hey ugly annabeth yelled i hope she was talking to the giant not me blue boy bellowed and turned to order exposing the unprotected back of his legs i charged and stabbed him behind the knee Wah! the hyperborean buckled i waited for him to turn but he froze I mean, he literally turned to solid ice. From the point where I'd stabbed him, cracks appeared in in his body. They got larger and wider until the giant crumbled in a mountain of blue shards. 
Thanks, Annabeth winced, trying to catch her breath. The pig? Pork chops, I said. Good. She flexed her shoulder. Obviously, the wound was still bothering her, but she saw my expression and rolled her eyes. I'm fine, Percy. Come on. We've got plenty of enemies left. She was right. The next hour was a blur. I fought like I've never fought before, wading into legions of draconate, taking out dozens of Telkines with every strike, destroying Empusai and no knocking out enemy de demigods. No matter how many I defeated, more took their place. Annabeth and I raced from block to block, trying to shore up our defenses. Too many of our friends lay wounded in the streets. Too many were missing. As the night wore on and the moon got higher, we were backed up by foot by foot until we were only a block from the Empire State Building in any direction. At one point, Grover was next to me, bonking Snake Woman over the head with his cudgel. Then he disappeared in the crowd, and it was Talia at my side, driving the monsters back with the power of her magic shield. Mrs. O'Leary bounded out of nowhere, picking up a Lashragonian giant in her mouth and flung him into the air like a frisbee. Annabeth used her invisibility cap to sneak behind the enemy lines. Whenever a monster disintegrated for no apparent reason with a surprised look on his face, I knew Annabeth had been there. But still wasn't enough. Hold your lines, Katie Gardner shouted, somewhere off to my left. The problem was that there were too few of us to hold anything. The entrance to Olympus was 20 feet behind me. A ring of brave demigods, hunters, and nature spirits guarded the doors. I slashed and hacked destroying everything in my path, but even I was getting tired, and I couldn't be everywhere at once. Behind the enemy troops, a few blocks to the east, a bright light began to shine. I thought it was the sunrise, then I realized Kronos was riding toward us on a golden chariot. A dozen Lashragonian giants bore torches before him. Two Hyperboreans carried his back and purple banners. The Titan Lord looked fresh and rested, his powers at full strength. He was taking his time advancing, letting me wear myself down. Annabeth appeared next to me. We have to fall back to the doorway. Hold it at all costs. She was right. I was about to order a retreat when I heard the hunting horn. It cut through the noise of the battle like a fire alarm. A chorus of horns answered from all around us, echoing off the buildings of Manhattan. I glanced at Talia, but she just frowned. Not the hunters, she assured me. We're all here. Then who? The horns got louder. I couldn't tell where they were coming from, from because of the echo, but it sounded like an entire army was approaching. I was afraid it might be more armies, but Cronus's forces looked as, as confused as we were. Giants lowered their clubs. Draconae hissed. Even Cronus's honor guard looked uneasy. Then, to our left, a hundred monsters cried out at once. Cronus's entire northern flank surged forward. I thought we were doomed, but they didn't attack. They ran straight past us and crashed into their southern, southern allies. A new blast of horns shattered the night. The air shimmered. In a blur of moment, movement, an entire cavalry appeared as if dropping out of light speed. Yeah, baby! A voice wailed. Party! A shower of arrows arced over, arced over our heads and slammed into the enemy, vaporizing hundreds of demons. But these weren't regular arrows. They made whizzy sounds as they flew, like whee! Some had pinwheel, pinwheels attached to them. Others had boxing gloves rather than points. Centaurs! Annabeth yelled. The party pony army exploded into our midst in a riot, a riot of colors. Tie-dyed shirts, rainbow afro wigs, oversized sunglasses, and more painted faces. Some had slogans scrawled across their flanks like, 
Horse, horses PWN or Kronos sucks. Hundreds of them filled the entire block. My brain couldn't process everything I saw, but I knew if I were the enemy, I'd be running. Percy! Percy! Chiron shouted across the sea of wild centaurs. He was dressed in armor from the waist down, his bow in his hand, and he was grinning in satisfaction. Sorry we're late. Dude! Another centaur yelled. Talk later! Waste monsters now! He locked and loaded a double-barrel paint gun and blasted an enemy hellhound bright pink. The paint must have mixed with celestial bronze dust or something, because as soon as it splattered the hellhound, the monster yelped and dissolved into a pink and black puddle. Party poonies! A centaur yelled. South Florida chapter! Somewhere across the battlefield, a twangy voice yelled back, Heart of Texas chapter! Hawaii owns your faces! A third one shouted. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. The entire, entire Titan army turned and fled, pushed back by a flood of paintballs, arrows, swords, and Nerf baseball bats. The centaurs trampled everything in their path. Stop running, you fools! Kronos yelled. Stand and act! That last part was a big was because a panicked Hyperborean giant stumbled backward and sat on top of him. The Lord of Time disappeared under a giant blue butt. We pushed him for several blocks until Chiron, Chiron yelled, Hold! On your promise, hold! It wasn't easy, but eventually the order got relayed up and down the ranks of centaurs, and they started to pull back, letting the enemy flee. Chiron's smart, Annabeth said, wiping the sweat off her face. If we pursue, we'll get too spread out. We need to regroup. But the enemy, they're not defeated, she agreed, but the dawn is coming. At least we've bought some time. I didn't like pulling back, but I knew she was right. I watched as the last of the Telkines scuttled toward the East River. Then, reluctantly, I turned and head headed back toward the en Empire State Building. We set up a two-block perimeter with a command tent at the Empire State Building. Chiron informed us that the party ponies had sent chapters from almost every state in the Union. Forty from California, two from Rhode Island, thirty from Illinois. Roughly five hundred total had answered his call. But even with that many, we couldn't defend more than a few blocks. Dude, said a centaur named Larry. His t-shirt identified him as Big Chief Uber Guy, New Mexico chapter. That was more fun than our last convention in Vegas. Yeah, said Owen from South Dakota. He wore a black leather jacket and an old World War II hel army helmet. We totally wasted them. Chiron patted Owen on the back. You did well, my friends, but don't get careless. Kronos should never be underestimated. Now why don't you go why don't you visit the diner on West 33rd and get some breakfast? I hear the Delaware chapter found a stash of root beer. Root beer! They almost trampled each other as they galloped off. Chiron smiled, and they gave him a big hug and Mrs. O'Leary licked his face. Ah, he grumbled. Enough of that, dog. Yes, I'm glad to see you too. Chiron, thanks, I said. Talk about saving the day. He shrugged. I'm sorry it took so long. Centaurs travel fast, you know, as you know. We can bend distance as we ride. Even so, getting all the centaurs together was no easy task. The party ponies are not exactly organized. How'd you get, get through the magic defenses around the city? Ambit asked. They slowed us down a bit, Chiron admitted, but I think they're intended mostly to keep mortals out. Kronos doesn't want a puny humans getting in the way of his great victory. So maybe other reinforcements can get through, I said hopefully. Chiron stroked his beard. Perhaps, though time is short. 
As soon as Kronos regroups, he will attack again. Without the element of surprise on our side. I understood what he meant. Kronos wasn't beaten, not by a long shot. I half hoped Kronos had been squashed under that Hyperborean's giant butt. But I knew better. He'd be back, tonight at the latest. And Typhon? I asked. Chiron's face darkened. The gods are tiring. Dionysus was incap incapacitated yesterday. Typhon smashed his chariot and the wine god went down somewhere in the Appalachians. No one has seen him since. Hephaestus is out of action as well. He was thrown from the battle so hard he created a new lake in West Virginia. He will heal, but not soon enough to help. The others still fight. They've managed to slow Ty Typhon's approach, but the monster cannot be stopped. He will arrive in New York by this time tomorrow. Once he and Kronos combine forces. Then what chance do we have? I said, we can't hold out another day. We'll have to, Talia said. I'll see about setting, uh, setting some new traps around the perimeter. She looked exhausted. Her jacket was smeared in grime and monster dust, but she managed to get to her feet and stagger off. I will help her, Chiron decided. I should make sure my brethren don't go too overboard with the root beer. I thought too overboard pretty much summed up the party ponies, but Chiron cantered off, leaving Annabeth and me alone. She cleaned the monster slime off her knife. I'd seen her do that hundreds of times, but I've never thought about why she cared so much about the blade. At least your mom's okay, I offered. If you call fighting Typhon okay, she locked eyes with me. Percy, even with the centaur's help, I'm starting to think, I know. I had a bad feeling this might be our last chance to talk, and I felt like there were a million things I hadn't told her. Listen, there were some, some visions Hestia showed me. You mean about Luke? Maybe it was just a safe guess, but I got the feeling Annabeth knew what I'd been holding back. Maybe she'd been having dreams of her own. Yeah, I said, you and Talia and Luke, the first time you met, met and the time you met Hermes. Annabeth slipped her knife back into the, its sheath. Luke promised he'd never let me get hurt. He said, he said we'd be a new family, and it would turn out better than his. Her eyes reminded me of that seven-year-old girls in the seven-year-old girls in the alley, angry, scared, desperate for a friend. Talia talked to me earlier. I said she's afraid that I can't face Luke. She said miserably. I nodded. But there's something else you should know. Ethan Nakamura seemed to think Luke was still alive inside his body, maybe even fighting Kronos for control. Ambus tried to hide it, but I could almost see her mind working on the possibilities, maybe starting to hope. I didn't want to tell you, I admitted. She looked up at the Empire State Building. Percy, for so long in my life, I felt like everything was changing, all the time. I didn't have anyone I could rely on. I nodded. That was something most demigods could understand. I ran away when I was seven, she said. Then with Luke and Talia, I thought I'd found a family. But it fell apart almost immediately. What I'm saying, I hate it when people let me down. When things are temporary, I think that's why I want to be an architect. To build something permanent, I said. A monument to last a thousand years. She held my eyes. I guess that sounds like my fatal flaw again. Years ago in the Sea of Monsters, Annabeth had told me, her biggest flaw was pride, thinking she could fix anything. I'd even seen a glimpse of her deepest desire, shown to her by the siren's magic. Annabeth had imagined her mother and father together standing in front of a newly rebuilt Manhattan, designed by Annabeth. And Luke had been there too, good again, welcoming her home. I guess I understand how you feel, 
I said. Batalia's right. Batalia's right. Luke has already betrayed you so many times. He was evil even before Kronos. I don't want him to hurt you anymore. Annabeth pursed her lips. I could tell she was trying not to get mad. And you'll understand if I keep hoping there's a chance you're wrong. I looked away. I feel like I'd done my best, but that didn't make me feel any better. Across the street, the Apollo campers had set up a field hospital to tend the wounded. Dozens of campers and almost as many hunters. I was watching the medics work and thinking about her slim chances for holding Mount Olympus. And suddenly, I wasn't there anymore. I was standing in a long, dingy bar with black walls, neon signs, and a bunch of partying adults. A banner across the bar read, Happy Birthday, Bobby Earl. Country music played on the speakers. Big guys in jeans and work shirts crowded the bar. Waitresses carried trays of drinks and shouted at each other. It was pretty much exactly the kind of place my mom would never let me go. I was stuck in the very back of the room, next to the bathrooms, which didn't smell so great, and a couple of antique arcade games. No good, you're here, said the man at the Pac-Man machine. I'll have a Diet Coke. He was a pudgy man in a leopard-skin Hawaiian shirt, purple shorts, red running shoes, and black socks, which didn't exactly make him blend in with the car crowd. His nose was bright red. A bandage was wrapped around his curly black hair like he was covering from a, recovering from a concussion. I blinked. Mr. D? He sighed, not taking his eyes from the game. Really, Peter Johnson, how long will it take for you to recognize me on sight? About as long as it'll take for you to figure out my name, I muttered. Where are we? Why, Bobby Earl's birthday party, Dionysus said. Somewhere in lovely rural America. I thought Typhon swatted you out of the sky. They said you'd crash landed. Your concern is touching. I did crash land, very painfully. In fact, part of me is still buried under a hundred feet of rubble in an abandoned coal mine. It will be several more hours before I have enough strength to mend. But in the meantime, part of my consciousness is here. At a bar. Playing Pac-Man. Party time, Dionysus said. Surely you've heard of it. Wherever there's a party, my presence is invoked. Because at this, of this, I can in- exist in many different places at once. The only problem was finding a party. I don't know if you're aware how serious things are outside your safe little bubble of New York. Safe little bubble? But believe me, the mortals out here in the heartland are panicking. Typhon has terrified them. Very few are throwing parties. Apparently Bobby Earl and his friends, bless them, are a little slow. They haven't yet figured out that the world is ending. So, I'm not really here? No, in a moment I'll send you back to your normal insignificant life. And it'll be as if nothing had happened. And why did you bring me here? Dionysus snorted. (laughs) Oh, I didn't want you particularly. Any of you silly heroes would do. That Annie girl? Annabeth? The point is, he said, I pulled you into party time to deliver a warning. We are in danger. Gee, I said, never Fortifier would have figured that out. Thanks. He glared at me momentarily, forgot his game. Pac-Man got eaten by the red ghost dude. Ascoracus, Blinky. Dionysus cursed. I will have your soul. Um, he's a video game character, I said. That's no excuse, and you're ruining my game, Jorgensen. Jorgensen. Jackson. Whichever. Now listen, the situation is graver than you imagine. If Olympus falls, not only will the gods fade, but everything that is connected to our legacy will also begin to unravel. 
the very fabric of your puny little civilization. The game played a song and Mr. D progressed to level 254. Ha! He shouted. Take that, you pixelated fiends! Um, fabric of civilization, I prompted. Yes, yes, your entire society will dissolve. Perhaps not right away, but mark my words. The chaos of the titans will mean the end of western civilization. Art, law, wine, tastings, music, video games, silk shirts, black velvet paintings. All the things that make life worth living will disappear. So why aren't the gods rushing back to help us? I said, we should combine forces on Olympus. Forget Typhon. He snapped his fingers impatiently. You forgot my Diet Coke. Gods, you're annoying. I got the attention of a waitress and ordered the stupid soda. I put it on Bobby Earl's tab. Mr. D took a good long drink. His eyes never left the video game. The truth is, Pierre. Percy. The other gods would never admit this, but we actually need you mortals to rescue Olympus. You see, we are manifestations of your culture. If you don't care enough to save Olympus yourselves, like Pan, I said, depending on the satyrs to save the wild. Yes, quite. I will deny I ever said this, of course, but the gods need heroes. They always have. Otherwise, we would not keep you annoying little brats around. I feel so wanted, thanks. Use the training I've given you at camp. What training? You know, all those hero techniques. And... No! Mr. D slapped this game console. Napari'i The last level! He looked at me, and purple fire flickered in his eyes. As I recall, I once predicted you would turn out to be as selfish as all, other, as all the other human heroes. Well, here's your chance to prove me wrong. Yeah, making you proud is real high on my list. You must save Olympus, Pedro. Leave Typhon to the Olympians and save our own seats of power. It must be done. Great, nice little chat. Now, if you don't mind, my friends will be wondering. There's more, Mr. D warned. Kronos has not yet attained full power. The body of the mortal was only a temporary measure. We kind of guessed that. And did you also guess that within a day at most, Kronos will burn away that mortal body and take on the true form of a Titan king? And that would mean... Dionysus inserted another quarter. You know about the true forms of the gods. Yet, yeah, you can't look at them without burning up. Kronos would be ten times more powerful. His very presence would incinerate you, and once he achieves this, he will empower the other titans. They are weak now, compared to what they will soon become unless you can stop them. The world will fall, the gods will die, and I will never achieve a perfect score on this stupid machine. Maybe I should have been terrified, but honestly, I was already about as scared as I could get. Can I go now? I asked. One last thing. My son, Pollux. Is he alive? I blinked. Yeah, last I saw him. I would, much, I would very much appreciate it if you could keep him that way. I lost his brother Castor last year. I remember... I stared at him, trying to wrap my mind around that the idea that Dionysus could be a caring father. I wondered how many other Olympians were thinking about their demigod children right now. I'll do my best. Your best, Dionysus muttered. Well, isn't that reassuring? Go now. You have some nasty surprises to deal with. And I must defeat Blinky! Nasty surprises? He waved his hand and the bar disappeared. I was back on Fifth Avenue. Annabeth hadn't moved. She didn't give any sign that I'd been gone or anything. She caught me staring and frowned. What? Um, nothing, I guess. 
I gazed down the avenue, wondering what Mr. D had meant by nasty surprises. How much worse could it get? My eyes rested, up, uh, rested on a beat-up blue car. The hood was badly dented, like somebody had tried to hammer out some huge craters. My skin tingled. Why did that car look so familiar? Then I realized it was a Prius. Paul's Prius. I bolted down the street. Percy! Ambit called. Where are you going? Paul was passed out in the driver's seat. My mom was snoring beside him. My mind felt like mush. How had I not seen them before? They'd been sitting here in traffic for over a day. The battle raging around them and I hadn't even noticed. They, they must have seen those blue lights in the sky. I rattled the doors, but they were locked. I need to get them out. Percy, Ambit said gently. I can't leave them here. I sounded a little crazy. I pounded on the windshield. I have to move them. I have to... Percy, just... Just hold on. Ambeth waved to Chiron, who was talking to some centaurs down the block. We can push the car to the side street, all right? They're going to be fine. My hands trembled. After all I'd been through over the last few days, I felt so stupid and weak. But the sight of my parents made me want to break down. Chiron galloped over. What's... Oh, dear. I see. They were coming to find me. I said, my mom must have sensed something was wrong. Most likely, Kyron said. But Percy, they will be fine. The best thing we can do for them is stay focused on our job. Then I noticed something in the backseat of the Prius and my heart skipped a beat. Seat belted behind my mother was a black and white Greek jar about three feet tall. Its lid was wrapped in a leather harness. No way, I muttered. Abbott pressed her hand to the window. That's impossible. I thought you left at the plaza. Locked in a vault, I agreed. Chiron saw the jar and his eyes widened. That isn't... Pandora's jar. I told him about my meeting with Prometheus. Then the jar's, jar is yours, Chiron said grimly, grimly. It will follow you and tempt you to open it no matter where you leave it. It will appear when you are the weakest, when you are weakest. Like now, I thought, looking at my helpless parents. I imagine Prometheus smiling, so anxious to help us out, poor mortal, mortals. Give up hope, and I, I will know that you are surrendering. I promise Kronos will be lenient. Anger surged through me. I drew Riptide and cut through the driver's side window, and like it was made of plastic wrap. We'll put the car, car in neutral. I said, push some out of the way, and take that stupid jar to Olympus. Chiron nodded. A good plan, but Percy... Whatever he was going to say, he faltered. A mechanical drumbeat grew loud in the distance. The chop, chop, chop of a helicopter. On a normal Monday morning in New York, this would have been no big deal. But after two days of silence, a mortal helicopter was the oddest thing ever. I've ever heard. A few blocks east, the monster army shouted and jeered as the helicopter came into view. It was a civilian model painted red, dark red, with a bright green DE logo on the side. The words under the logo were too small to read, but I knew what they said. Dare Enterprises. My throat closed up. I looked at Annabeth and could tell she recognized the logo too. Her face was as red as the helicopter. What is she doing here? Annabeth demanded. How did she get through the barrier? Who? Kyron looked confused. What mortal would be insane enough? Suddenly, the helicopter pitched forward. The Morpheus Enchantment! Kyron said, the foolish mortal pilot is asleep. 
I watched in horror as the, as the helicopter careened sideways, falling toward a row of office buildings. Even if it didn't crash, the gods of the air would probably swat it out of the sky for coming near the Empire State Building. I was too paralyzed to move, but Annabeth whistled and Guido, the Pegasus, swooped out of nowhere. You rang for a handsome horse? He asked. Come on, Percy. Annabeth growled. We have to save your friend. And that is the end of chapter 15. I really wonder if Rachel is also asleep, but since she has some, uh, she can see through the mist and has some special powers, maybe she possibly isn't asleep and she can, she can tolerate Morpheus's enchantment. But we'll have to see in chapter 16 when Percy and Annabeth try to rescue the helicopter and hopefully they do rescue the helicopter. And so right after this break, we'll read chapter 16. We get help from a thief. And we are back from the ads, and now we'll read chapter 16, We Get Help From a Thief. Here's my definition of not fun. Flying a Pegasus toward a out-of-control helicopter. If Guido had been any less of a fancy flyer, we would have been chopped to confetti. I could hear Rachel screaming inside. For some reason, she hadn't fallen asleep. But I could see the pilot slumped over the controls, pitching back and forth as the helicopter wobbled toward the side of an office building. Ideas? I asked Annabeth. You're gonna have to take Guido and get out, she said. What are you gonna do? In response, she said, Yeah! And Guido went into a nosedive. Duck! Annabeth yelled. We passed so close to the rotors, I felt the force of the blades ripping at my hair. We zipped along the side of the helicopter, and Annabeth grabbed the door. That's when things went wrong. Guido's wing slammed against the helicopter. He plummeted straight down with me on his back, leaving Annabeth dangling from the side of the aircraft. I was so terrified I could barely think. But as Guido spiraled, I caught a glimpse of Rachel pulling Annabeth inside the copter. Hang in there, I yelled at Guido. My wing, he moaned. It's busted. You can do it. I desperately tried to remember what Selena used to tell us in Pegasus writing lessons. Just relax the wing, extend it, and glide. We fell like a rock, straight toward the pavement 300 feet below. At the last moment, Guido extended his wings. I saw the face of, faces of centaurs gaping up at us. Then we pulled up out of our dive, pulled out of our dive, sailed 50 feet, and tumbled onto the pavement. Pegasus over demigod. Ow! Guido moaned. My legs, my head, my wings! Chiron galloped over with his medical pouch and began working on the Pegasus. I got to my feet. When I looked up, my heart crawled into my throat. The helicopter was only a few seconds away from slamming into the side of the building. Then miraculously, the helicopter righted itself. It spun in a circle and hovered. Very slowly, it began to descend. It seemed to take forever, but finally the helicopter thudded to a landing in the middle of 5th Avenue. I looked through the windshield and couldn't believe what I was seeing. Annabeth was at the controls. I ran forward as the rotor spun to a stop. Rachel opened the side door and dragged out the pilot. Rachel was still dressed like she was on vacation, in beach shorts, a t-shirt, and sandals. Her hair was tangled and her face was green from the helicopter ride. Annabeth climbed out last. I stared at her in awe. I didn't know you could fly a helicopter. Neither did I, she said. My dad's crazy into aviation. Plus, Daedalus had some notes on flying machines. I just took my best guess on the controls. You saved my life, Rachel said. 
You haven't flexed your bad shoulder. Yeah, well, let's not make a habit of it. What are you doing here, Dare? Don't you know better than to fly into a war zone? I... Rachel glanced at me. I had to be here. I knew Percy was in trouble. Got that right. Annabeth grumbled. Well, if you'll excuse me, I have some injured friends I've got to tend to. Glad you could stop by, Rachel. Annabeth, I called. She stormed off. Rachel plopped down on the curb and put her, put her head in her hands. I'm sorry, Percy. I, I didn't mean to. I always mess things up. It was kind of hard to argue with her, though I was glad she was safe. I looked in the direction Annabeth had gone, but she disappeared into the, into the crowd. I couldn't believe what she'd just done. Saved Rachel's life, landed a helicopter, and walked, out like it, walked away like it was no big deal. It's okay, I told Rachel, though my words sounded hollow. So what's the message you wanted to deliver? She frowned. How did you know about that? A dream. Rachel didn't look surprised. She tugged at her beach shorts. They were covered in drawings, which wasn't unusual for her. But these symbols I recognize. Greek letters, pictures from camp beads, sketches of monsters and faces of gods. I didn't understand how Rachel could have known about some of that. She'd never been to Olympus or Camp Half-Blood. I've been seeing things too, she muttered. I mean, it's not just through the mist. This is different. I've been drawing pictures, writing lines in ancient Greek, I said. Do you know what they say? That's what I wanted to talk to you about. I, I was hoping... Well, if you had gone with us on vacation, I was hoping you could have helped me figure out what's happening to me. She looked at me pleadingly. Her face was sunburned from the beach. Her nose was peeling. I couldn't get over the shock that she was here in person. She'd forced her family here to cut her short their vacation, agreed to go to a horrible school, and flown a helicopter in a monster battle just to see me. In her own way, she was as brave as Annabeth. But what was happening to her with these visions really freaked me out. Maybe it was something that happened to all mortals who could see through the mist. But my mom never talked, uh, had never talked about anything like that. And Hestia's words about Luke's mom kept coming back to me. May Castellan went too far. She tried to see too much. Rachel, I said. I wish I knew, but we should ask. Maybe we should ask Chiron. Chiron. She flinched like she'd gotten an electric shock. Percy, something's about to happen. A trick that ends in death. What do you mean? Who's death? I don't know. She looked down nervously. Don't you feel it? Is that the message you wanted to tell me? No, she hesitated. I I'm sorry, I'm not making sense. But that thought just came to me. The message I wrote on the beach was... different. It had your name in it. Perseus, I remembered. In ancient Greek. Rachel nodded. I don't know its meaning, but I know it's important. You have to hear it. It said, Perseus, you are not the hero. I stared at her like she'd just slapped me. You came thousands of miles to tell me I'm not the hero? It's important, she insisted. It will affect what you do. Not the hero of the prophecy? I asked. Not the hero who defeats Kronos? What do you mean? Uh, I'm sorry, Percy. That's all I know. I had to tell you because... Well, Chiron cantered over. This must be Miss Dare. I wanted to yell at him to go away, but of course I couldn't. I tried to get my emotions under control. I felt like I had another personal hurricane swirling around me. Chiron, Rachel Dare. I said, Rachel, this is my teacher, Chiron. Hello, Rachel said glumly. She didn't look at all surprised that Chiron was a centaur. You are not asleep, Miss Dare? He noticed, and yet you are mortal? I'm mortal, she agreed, like it was a depressing thought. The pilot fell asleep as soon as we passed the river. 
I don't know why I didn't. I just knew I had to be here to warn Percy. Warn Percy. She's been seeing things, I said, writing lines and making drawings. Kyron raised an eyebrow. Indeed. Tell me. She told him the same thing she told me. Kyron stroked his beard. Miss Dare, perhaps we should talk. Kyron, I blurted. I had a sudden terrible image of Camp Half-Blood in the 1990s and May Castellan's scream coming from the attic. You, you, you'll help Rachel, right? I mean, you'll warn her not that she's got to be careful with this stuff, not go too far. His tail flicked like it does when he's anxious. Yes, Percy, I will do my best to understand what is happening and advise Miss Dare. But this may take some time. Meanwhile, you should rest. We've moved your parents' car to safety. The enemy seems to be staying put for now. We've set up bunks in the Empire State Building. Get some sleep. Everybody keeps telling me to sleep, I grumbled. I don't need sleep. Kyron managed to smile. Have you looked at yourself recently, Percy? I glanced down at my clothes, which were scorched, burned, sliced, and tattered from my night of constant battles. I look like death, I admitted. But you think I can sleep after what just happened? You may be invulnerable in combat, Kyron chided, but that only makes your body tire faster. I remember Achilles. Achilles. Whenever that lad wasn't fighting, he was sleeping. He must have taken 20 naps a day. You, Percy, need your rest. You may be our only hope. I wanted to complain that I wasn't their only hope. According to Rachel, I wasn't even the hero, but the look in Kyron's eyes made it clear he wasn't going to take no for an answer. Sure, I crumbled. Talk. I trudged toward the Empire State Building. When I glanced back, Rachel and Kyron were walking together in earnest conversation, like they were discussing funeral arrangements. Inside the lobby, I found an empty bunk and collapsed, sure that I would never be able to sleep. A second later, my eyes closed. In my dreams, I was back in Hades', Hades garden. The Lord of the Dead paced up and down, holding his ears while Nico followed him, waving his arms. You have to, Nico insisted. Demeter and Persephone sat behind them at the breakfast table. Both of the goddesses looked bored. Demeter poured shredded wheat into four huge bowls. Persephone was magically changing the flower arrangements on the table, turning the blossoms from red to put yellow to polka dot. Totted, dotted. I don't have to do anything! Hades' eyes blazed. I'm a god! Father, Nico said. If Olympus falls, your own palace's safety doesn't matter. You'll fade too. I'm... Not an Olympian, he growled. My family has made that quite clear. You are, Nico said, whether you like it or not. You saw what they did to your mother, Hades said. Zeus killed her, and you would have me help them? They deserve what they get. Persephone sighed. She walked her fingers across the table, absently turning the silverware into roses. Could we please not talk about that woman? You know what would help this boy, Demeter mused. Farming! Persephone rolled her eyes. Mother, six months behind a plow. Excellent character building. Nico stepped in front of my father, forcing Hades to face him. My mother understood about family. That's why she didn't want to leave us. You can't just abandon your family because they did something horrible. You've done horrible things to them too. Maria died, Hades reminded them. You can't just cut yourself off from the other gods. I've done very well at it for thousands of years. And has that made you feel any better? Nico demanded. Has that curse on the Oracle helped you at all? Holding grudges is a fatal flaw. Bianca warned me about that, and she was right. For demigods, 
I'm immortal, all-powerful. I would not help the other gods if they begged me, if Percy Jackson himself pleaded. You're just as much as an outcast as I am, Nico yelled. Stop being angry about it and do something helpful for once. That's the only way they'll respect you. Hades' palm filled with black fire. Go ahead, Nico said. Blast me. That's just what the other gods would expect you from you. Prove them right. Yes, please, Demeter complained. Shut him up. Persephone sighed. Oh, I don't know. I would rather fight in the war than eat another bowl of cereal. This is boring. Hades roared in anger. His fireball hit a silver tree right next to Nico, melting it into a pool of liquid metal. And my dream changed. I was standing outside the United Nations, about a mile northeast of the Empire State Building. The Titan Army had set up camp all around the UN complex. The flagpoles were hung with horrible trophies, helmets, and armor pieces from defeated campers. All along First Avenue, giants sharpened their axes. Telkines repaired armor at makeshift forges. Kronos himself paced at the top of the plaza, swinging his sights so his Draconae bodyguards stayed way back. Ethan Nakamura and Prometheus stood nearby, out of slicing range. Ethan was fidgeting with his shield straps, but Prometheus looked as calm and collected as ever in his tuxedo. I hate this place, Kronos growled. United Nations, as if mankind could ever unite. Remind me to tear down this building after we destroy Olympus. Olympus. Yes, Lord. Prometheus smiled as if his master's anger amused him. Shall we tear down the stables in Central Park too? I know how much horses can annoy you. Don't mock me, Prometheus. Those cursed centaurs will be sorry they interfered. I will feed them to the hellhounds, starting with that son of mine, that weak, that weakling Chiron. Prometheus shrugged. That weakling destroyed an entire legion of Telkines with his arrows. Kronos swung his scythe and cut a flagpole in half. The national colors of Brazil toppled into the army, squashing a Draconae. Dry a Draconae. Dracona. We will destroy them. Kronos roared. It is time to unleash the Dracon. Nakamura, you will do this. Y- yes, Lord. At sunset? No. Kronos said, immediately. The defenders of Olympus are badly wounded. They will not expect a quick attack. Besides, we know this Dracon can, they cannot beat. Ethan looked confused. My lord? Never you mind, Nakamura. Just do my bidding. I want Olympus in ruins by the time Typhon reaches New York. We will break the gods utterly. But my lord, Ethan said, your regeneration. Kronos pointed at Ethan, and the demigod froze. Does it seem, Kronos hissed, that I need to regenerate? Ethan didn't respond. Kind of hard to do when you're immobilized in time. Kronos snapped his fingers and Ethan collapsed. Soon, the time growled. This form will be unnecessary. I will not rest with victory so close. Now go! Ethan scrambled away. This is dangerous, my lord, Prometheus warned. Do not be hasty. Hasty? After festering for 3,000 years in the depths of Tartarus, you call me hasty? I will slice Percy Jackson into a thousand pieces. Thrice you fought him, Prometheus pointed out, and yet you've always said it is beneath the dignity of a titan to fight a mere mortal. I wonder if your mortal host is influencing you, weakening your judgment. Kronos turned his golden eyes on the other titan. You call me weak? No, my lord, I only meant... Are your loyalties divided? Kronos asked. Perhaps you miss your old friends, the gods. 
Would you like to join them? Prometheus paled. I misspoke, my lord. Your orders will be carried out. He turned to the armies and shouted, Prepare for battle! The troops began to stir. From somewhere behind the UN compound, an angry roar shook the city. The sound of Dracon, of a Dracon waking. The noise was so horrible, it woke me. And I realized it could, I could still hear from a mile away. Grover stood next to me, looking nervous. What was that? They're coming, I told them, and we're in trouble. The Hephaestus cabin was out of Greek fire. The Apollo cabin and the hunters were scrounging for arrows. Most of us had already ingested so much ambrosia and nectar, we didn't take and we didn't dare take any more. We had 16 campers, 15 hunters, and half a dozen satyrs left in fighting shape. The rest had taken refuge on Olympus. The party ponies tried to form ranks, but they staggered and giggled, and they all smelled like root beer. The, te- the Texans were headbutting the Colora- Coloradoans. The Missouri branch was arguing with Illinois. The chances were pretty good. The whole army would end up fighting each other rather than the enemy. Chiron trotted up with Rachel on his back. I felt a twinge of annoyance because Chiron rarely gave anyone a ride, and never a mortal. Your friend here has some useful info insights, Percy, he said. Rachel blushed. Just some things I saw in my head. A Dracon, Chiron said. A Lydian Dracon, to be exact. The oldest and most dangerous kind. I stared at her. How did you know that? I'm not sure, Rachel admitted. But this Dracon has a particular fate. It will be killed by a child of Ares. Ambit crossed her arms. How can you possibly know that? I just saw it. I can't explain. Well, let's hope you're wrong, I said, because we're a little short on children of Ares. A horrible thought occurred to me, and I cursed an ancient Greek. What? Ambit asked. The spy, I told her, Kronos said. Kronos said, we know this Dracon they cannot beat. The spy has been keeping him updated. Kronos knows the Ares cabin isn't with us. He intentionally picked a monster we can't kill. Talia scowled. If I ever catch your spy, he's going to be very sorry. Maybe we could send another messenger to camp. I've already done it, Chiron said. Blackjack is on his way, but if Selena wasn't able to convince Clarice, I doubt Blackjack will be able. A roar shook the ground. It sounded very close. Rachel, I said, get inside the building. I want to stay. A shadow blotted out, blotted out, out the sun. Across the street, the Dracon slithered down the side of a skyscraper. It roared, and a thousand windows shattered. On second thought, Rachel said in a small voice, I'll be inside. Let me explain. explain. There are dragons, and then there are Dracons. Dracons are several millennia older than dragons, and much larger. They look like giant serpents. Most don't have wings. Most don't breathe fire, although some do. All are poisonous. All are immensely strong, with scales harder than titanium. Their eyes can paralyze you, not to turn you to stone. Medusa-type paralysis, but the, oh my god, that big snake is going to eat me type of paralysis, which is just as bad. We have Dracon fighting classes at camp, but there's no way to prepare yourself for a 200-foot-long serpent as thick as a school bus slithering down the side of a building. It's yellow eyes like searchlights and it's mouth full of razor-sharp sharp teeth big enough to chew elephants. It almost made me long for, the, long for the flying pig. Meanwhile, the enemy army advanced down 5th Avenue. 
We'd done our best to push cars out of the way to keep the mortals safe, but that just made it easier for our enemies to approach. The party ponies swished their tails nervously. Chiron galloped and down their ranks, shouting encouragement to stand tough. And I think about victory and root beer. But I figured any second they would panic and run. I'll take the drake on. My voice came out as a timid squeak. Then I yelled louder. I'll take the dra- drake on. Everyone else, hold the line against the army. Ambit stood next to me. She had pulled her owl helmet low over her face. But I could tell her eyes were wide. Were red. Will you help me? I asked. That's what I do, she said miserably. I help my friends. I feel like a complete jerk. I wanted to uh, pull her aside and explain I didn't mean that I didn't mean for Rachel to be here and that it wasn't my idea. But we had no time. Go invisible, I said. Look for weak links in its armor while I keep it busy. Just be careful. I whistled. Mrs. O'Leary, heal! Ruff! My hellhound leaped over a line of centaurs and gave me a kiss that smelled suspiciously of pepperoni pizza. I drew my sword and we charged the monster. The dracon was three stories above us, slithering sideways along the building as it, si- as it sized up our forces. Wherever it looked, centaurs froze in fear. From the north, the enemy army crashed into the party ponies, and our lines broke. The dracon lashed out, swallowing three Californian centaurs in one gulp before I could even get close. Mrs. O'Leary launched herself through the air, a deadly black shadow with teeth and claws. Normally, a pouncing hellhound is a terrifying sight. But next to the Dracon, Mrs. O'Leary looked like a child's night-night doll. Her claws raked harmlessly off the Dracon's scales. She bit the monster's throat, but couldn't even make a dent. Her weight, however, was not enough to knock the Dracon off the side of the building. It flailed awkwardly and crashed to the sidewalk. Hellhound and serpent twisting and thrashing. The dracon tried to bite Mrs. O'Leary, but she was too close to the serpent's mouth. Poison spewed everywhere, melting centaurs into dust along with quite a few monsters. But Mrs. O'Leary weaved around the serpent's head, scratching and biting. Yeah! I plunged Riptide deep into the monster's left eye. The spotlight went dark. The dracon hissed and reared back to strike, but I rolled aside. It bit a swimming pool-sized chunk out of the pavement. It turned toward me with its good eye, and I focused on its teeth so it wouldn't get paralyzed. Mrs. O'Leary did her best to cause a distraction. She leaped onto the serpent's head and scratched and growled like a really angry black wig. The rest of the battle wasn't going well. The centaurs had panicked under the onslaught of giants and demons. An occasional orange camp t-shirt appeared in the sea of fighting, but quickly disappeared. Arrows screamed, fire exploded in waves across both armies, but the action was moving across the street to the entrance of the Empire State Building. We were losing ground. Suddenly, Annabeth materialized on the Dracon's back. Her invisibility cap rolled off her head as she drove her bronze knife between a chink in the serpent's scales. The Dracon roared. It coiled around, knocking Annabeth off its back. I reached her just as she hit the ground. I dragged her out of the way as the serpent rolled, crushing a lamppost right where she'd been. Thanks, she said. I told you to be careful. Yeah, well, duck! It was her turn to save me. She tackled me as the monster's teeth snapped above my head. Mrs. O'Leary's body slammed Dracon's face to get its attention, and we rolled out of the way. Meanwhile, our allies had retreated to the doors of the Empire State Building. 
the entire enemy army was surrounding them. We were out of options. No more help was coming. Ambeth and I would have had to retreat before we were cut off from Mount Olympus. Then I heard a rumbling in the sound, south. It wasn't a sound you hear much in New York, but I recognized it immediately. Chariot wheels. A girl's voice yelled, Ares! And a dozen war chariots charged into battle. Each flew a red banner with the symbol of the wild boar's head. Each was pulled by a team of skeletal horses with manes of fire. A total of 30 fresh warriors, armor gleaming and eyes full of hate, lowered their lances as one, making a bristling wall of death. The children of Ares, Ambus in amazement. How did Rachel know? I didn't have an answer, but leading the charge was a girl in familiar red armor. Her face was covered by a boar's head helm. She, had, she held aloft a spear that crackled with electricity. Clarice herself had come to the rescue, while half her chariots charged the monster army. Clarice led the other six straight for the Dracon. The serpent reared back and managed to throw off Mrs. O'Leary. My poor pet hit the side of the building with a yelp. I ran to help her, but the serpent had already zeroed in on the new threat. Even with only one eye, its glare was enough to paralyze two chariot drivers. They veered into a line of cars. The other four chariots kept charging. The monster bared its fangs to strike and got a mouthful of celestial bronze javelins. Ease! It screamed, which is probably Dracon for OW! Ares, to me! Clarice screamed. Her voice sounded shriller than usual, but I guess that wasn't surprising given what she was fighting. Across the street, the arrival of six chariots gave the party ponies new hope. They rallied at the doors of the Empire State Building, and then the enemy army was momentarily thrown into confusion. Meanwhile, Clarissa's chariots circled the Dracon. Lances broke, uh, broke against the monster's skin. Skeletal horses breathed fire and whinnied. Two more chariots overturned, but the warriors simply leaped to their feet, drew their swords, and went to work. They hacked at chinks in the creature's scales. They dodged poison spray like they'd been training for this all their lives, which of course they had. No one could say the Ares campers weren't brave. Clarice was right there, in front, stabbing her spear at the Dracon's face, trying to put out its other eye. But as I watched, things started to go wrong. The Dracon snapped up one Ares camper in a gulp. It knocked aside another and sprayed poison on a third, who retreated in a panic, his armor melting. We have to help, Annabeth said. She was right. I'd just been standing there, frozen in amazement. Mrs. O'Leary tried to get up but yelped again. One of her paws were bleeding. Stay back, girl, I told her. You've done enough already. Annabeth and I jumped onto the monster's back and ran toward its head, trying to draw its attention away from Clarice. Her cabin mates threw javelins, most of which broke, but some lodged in the monster's teeth. It snapped its jaws together until its foamy mouth, mouth was a mess of green blood, yellow foamy poison, and splintered weapons. You can do it, I screamed at Clarice. A child of Ares is destined to kill it. Through her war helmet, I could only see her eyes, but I could tell something was wrong. Her blue eyes shone with fear. Clarice never looked like that, and she didn't have blue eyes. Ares! Ares! She shouted in that strangely shrill voice. She leveled her spear and charged the Dracon. No! I muttered. Wait! But the monster looked down at her, almost in contempt, and spit poison directly at her face. She screamed and fell. Clarice! 
Nemba jumped off the monster's back and ran to help, while the other Ares campers tried to defend their fallen counselor. I drove Riptide between two of the creature's scales and managed to turn its attention to me. I got thrown, but I landed on my feet. Come on, you stupid worm! Look at me! For the next several minutes, all I saw were teeth. I retreated and dodged poison, but I couldn't hurt the thing. At the edge of my vision, I saw a flying chariot land on 5th Avenue. Then someone ran toward us. A girl's voice, shaken with grief, cried, No! Curse you! Why? I dared to glance over, but what I saw made no sense. Clarice was lying on the ground where she'd fallen. Her armor was smoked with poison. Ambeth and the Ares campers were trying to unfasten her helmet, and kneeling next to them, her face blotchy with tears, was a girl in camp clothes. It was... Clarice. My head spun. Why hadn't I noticed before? The girl in Clarice's armor was much thinner, not as tall. But why would someone pretend to be Clarice? I was so stunned, the Dracon almost snapped me in half. I dodged and the beast buried its head in, the brick, in a brick wall. Why? The real Clarice demanded, holding the other girl in her arms while the other cam- while the campers struggled to remove the poison-corroded helmet. Chris Rodriguez ran over from the flying chariot. He and Clarice must have ridden it from, his, from Clint Camp, chasing the Ares campers who had mis- been, mistakenly been following the other girl, thinking she was Clarice, but it still made no sense. The Dracon tugged its head from the brick wall and screamed in rage. Look out! Chris warned. Instead of turning towards me, the Dracon whirled toward the sound of Chris's voice. It bared its fangs at the group of demigods. The real Clarice looked up at the Dracon, her face filled with absolute hate. I'd seen that look that intense only once before. Her father, Ares, had worn the same expression when I fought him in single combat. You want death? Clarice screamed at the Dracon. Well, come on! She grabbed her spear from the fallen girl. With no armor or shield, she charged the Dracon. I tried to close the distance to help, but Clarice was faster. She leaped aside as the monster struck, pulverizing the ground in front of her. Then she jumped onto the creature's head as it reared up. She drove her electric spear into its good eye. With its so much force, it shattered the shaft, releasing all of the magic, magic weapon's power. Electricity arced across the creature's head, causing its whole body to shudder. Clarice jumped free, rolling safely to the sidewalk as smoke boiled from the Dracon's mouth. The Dracon's flesh dissolved, and it collapsed into a hollow, scaly tunnel of armor. The rest of us stared at Clarice in awe. I'd never seen anyone take down such a huge monster single-handedly, but Clarice didn't seem to care. She ran back to the wounded girl who stolen her armor. Finally, Annabeth managed to remove the girl's helmet. We all gathered around the Ares campers. Chris, Clarice, Clarice, Annabeth, and me. The battle still raged along Fifth Avenue, but for that moment, nothing existed except for our small girl circle and the fallen girl. Her features, once beautiful, were badly burned from poison. I could tell that no amount of nectar or ambrosia would save her. Something's about to happen. Rachel's words rang in my ears. A trick that ends in death. Now I know what she meant, and I knew who the hero was who had led the Ares cabin into battle. I looked down at the dying face of Selena Beauregard. And that is the end of chapter six. Wow, Selena, really, that was a very painful and very emotional experience because 
Selena sacrificed herself just to lure and make the Ares camp campers help fight against the Dracon. And she sacrificed herself to go against the Dracon. I her efforts were really will be honored. I am sure of that. And I that was very surprising. But I do hope that Clarice does in try to think of what Selena did and try and help Percy and the army defeat Kronos. And possibly there might be more hopefully there's more people that come and help Percy's army against the monsters and defeat Kronos for good. But we will read chapters 17 and 18 next week and find out what Percy and the army will plan to do against the army. Against Kronos's army. But until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.